Fright Bites invites you to VoidCon. VoidCon is a gathering of horror writers, filmmakers, artists, musicians, and creators. A counterculture of contourism, occulted and shadowed. This is not a convention at which you'll find purveyors of Cthulhu plushies and screen posters. This is a convention at which you'll find forbidden things, subversive and dangerous ideas. Horror. Screenings include Scooter McRae's Underground Short, St. Frankenstein, Derek Carey's Horror Anthology, Hole in the Wall, and a screening of the Troma Classic Redneck Zombies, hosted by Troma Now's Fantastic Disaster Piece Theater. Special guests include Brian Keane, Joe Koch, Charlene Ellsby, Paula D. Ash, Burial Grid, Of Siri, Weird Punk Books, Clash Books, Filthy Loot, and more to be announced. Get your tickets today. Boils and ghouls. Turn out the lights. And keep the popcorn coming. Because it's time for another episode of Fright Fights Podcast. Fright Fights Podcast. Get ready for your gore gang. Tyler Cavett, Chris Lax, and Mike McKinney. Tackling horror news, reviews, and fight for their survival. Coming to you from the Fright Fights Fear Lodge. Get ready to sink your fangs into a battle that will make your blood run cold. This is Fright Fights. It's Fright Fights. Welcome back, all you Fright Fights fanatics. We are here with another episode of Fright Fights Podcast. I am Chris. Got my friends here with me, Tyler and Mike. How are you guys doing today? What's going on? Doing good. What's up? Uh, ready to talk some John Carpenter films. How about you guys? Heck yeah. Uh, not really. I'm just joking. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so listen to this. I want everybody to listen. So... The last episode we recorded God, at the very here end of we it, go. Here <laughs> you knew we it was coming. Go. Yep. We, ch- we chose the movies that we wanted because it landed on John Carpenter films. And Mike was immediately like, I want to choose Halloween too. I want to choose Halloween too. And I wasn't thinking anything of it. I was just thinking, hey, it's movies that John Carpenter has worked on. Anything he's worked on is a part of it, right? So we were all were like, yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. And then I started thinking after. Mike watched his movie after I watched Mike's movie. And I don't know if you watched it or not, Tyler, but uh, I was like, man, usually when people do these like director spotlights or these spotlight films, it's always the, the movie they directed, not the ones they wrote or the ones that they produced or anything like that. Right. So I sent you guys a message and I was like, hey, um, Rick Rosenthal wrote or directed Halloween, too. And Carpenter is the one that wrote it. Are we still considering this like the John Carpenter film or how are we doing this? And then Tyler was like, yeah, it should be the ones that he directed, not, uh, not wrote or produced. And Mike was sending a message back. He was like, well, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what that really reminded me of? Like, you remind me of the kid in school on a Friday. Raise your hand. 
Hey, teacher, hey, teacher, you didn't give me any homework. You didn't give the class any homework. Can we get some homework? And then everybody's pissed off. God, you called me out. The best Halloween out of the franchise, Halloween 2, and I didn't get to watch it. But it is the truth. So We, we needed to ruin – we had to ruin that plan somehow. <laughs> we were like, maybe uh, we at the beginning <laughs> with. And we were like, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. He wants to see Halloween 2. We're going to watch Halloween 2. But then at the end of the day, you know what? We had to shatter your well, he, he came into work immediately afterwards, and I was like, hey, sorry about that, Mike. And he just immediately flipped me off and said, fuck you again, Lex. <laughs> <laughs> I think you it went for heard, a record. Mike, have we heard enough of this Halloween off. 2 talk? Oh, my God. It's the best one. It is the best one, in my opinion, at least. Carpenter would disagree. Well, Carpenter can suck it. <laughs> 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 no, um... To me, like, I think it was, like, the creepiest one out of them all. But, I mean, still, in my opinion, Halloween 2, then the original 1978 Halloween goes, you know, Halloween 2 first, and then the original one's uh, second. But a lot of will argue that's not legit, but, oh, well. You can so just... Before we, uh, <laughs> before we actually, you know, do the battle later on and stuff, I do want to ask you guys. It doesn't matter whether it's part of the ones that we review tonight or anything, but what is your favorite John Carpenter movie? Um, mine is easy. And here's the thing. John Carpenter has many that I would consider classics and it's really hard to choose one because the guy really nailed in like, you know, two to three very solid genre pieces so far in directing. I don't think he's gonna make any more, but you know, um, I would think the thing, um, the thing is definitely my favorite. That's a foreshadow. And I just, I mean, I've always loved that since I've been a kid and every time I watch it, it continues to, to age like fine wine because it's fan. I just love it so much. Um, I was going to say, I, I think I'm just a, a sucker for Halloween. So I'm, I'm definitely going to go with Halloween 1978, of course. Um, because I think that's what, really kick-started um, slashers, in my opinion. And, you know, that's what I first saw and was terrified of, the man with the white mask, the boogeyman, you know. Um, so Halloween, for me, was was terrifying when I saw it when I was, like, maybe seven or eight. My dad used to let me watch it, and uh, maybe that's the way I am now. But uh, Halloween really terrified me at a young age, and that's kind of top-shelf when I talk about horror movies for, for me. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta agree with Mike. I, I think the Halloween is probably John Carpenter's best movie that he's ever been a part of. Uh, I love Halloween too, as a writing from him, but as far as director directors uh, or directing movies, uh, the first Halloween has got to be my favorite that he's been involved with simply just because of how, how easy it is to rewatch that movie and still be so interested in almost every detail of the film. It's just a, a great slasher film. Yeah. But we'll get into more details later. Um, I know that Tyler, you have some movies that you want to talk about that you watched, but before I have a surprise for you guys. Okay. So I'm going to play a little game of tagline trivia, horror movie edition for you guys. Best out of three is going to be the winner. Okay. I got three movies that I just randomly picked the DVDs and Blu-rays off the shelf. I'm going to read the tagline to you and I want you guys 
to answer what movie you think that tagline is from. First person to get it right wins, and the best out of three will win. If if it's ended up being a tie where you guys don't get either of them or whatever, I do have a, a fourth one laid out for you all to determine a winner. Um, so let's go ahead and start this. See how well you guys know your horror movie taglines. First up, he can taste your fear. He can taste your fear. This is so broad. Uh, um, I know, like, what the heck? He can taste your fear. Yeah, a lot of times there's little hidden meanings inside of uh, taglines, and sometimes they're just so generic that it could be for any horror movie ever made. I mean, so let's think. Well, uh, is it is it is it Jeepers Creepers? Like, taste your fear. Like, uh, or did, was that smell your fear? I don't know. <laughs> You're wrong, Mike. Well, fuck you, Lex. Could it be Candyman? <laughs> Could it be Ice Cream Man, Candyman? You can taste your fear, Freddy. Yeah, taste your fear. Tyler, do you have an answer? Um, just a guess. You could taste your fear. Um, you know. Uh, I guess I'm gonna just say Candyman. Wrong. He can taste your fear. Jeepers Creepers 2. Oh, my God. That was close. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We have to I, get Mike oh that one. I'm, I'm going to no. flip you off 79 times tomorrow <laughs> when I see you. I was pretty right. – that's what it sounded like. Okay. You're on the right track. I couldn't say anything because it would give it away. All right, oh next up. God. I remember seeing that tagline on there too on a white ink. I did too. Like I, I remember I saw it or heard it from somewhere. Yeah. Next up. When you open the door to the unknown, there's no telling who will drop in or who will drop dead. Read it one more time. When you open the door to the unknown, there's no telling who will drop in or who will drop dead. Who will Go ahead, Mike. Man, all right. Say, say it one more time for me. I'm really trying to think. Okay. Just show us the movie and we'll, we'll say it from there. Yeah, just show us the movie yeah. and I'll, I'll guess it. When you open the door to the unknown, there's no telling who will drop in or who will drop dead. Open the door. Dead. God. Um, I, I really... Think about it like figuratively. I don't know. Let me. I'm try, really trying to go through. Definitely some, not something like, modern. It sounds very much like an older title. It's it sounds like, like very older. Yeah, um, it's not like Insidious or something like that. Um, I'll, I'll give you guys the year. It was from 1986. God damn! I don't know if that actually helped me or not. <laughs> now I'm just like sitting there like, oh wait, what came on 1986? Give um, you guys one choice each. I don't know. And you said, and you said, you said nineteen, nineteen, late nineties, or late eighties. Nineteen eighty-six. And Mike, don't you dare start googling stuff. I see you left no, the chat. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was, I really you don't got know. Caught, motherfucker. I swear, I really, wait a minute. Oh shit, I didn't close it out. I have my guess. I'm done. I. Uh, What'd you guess, Tyler? High spirits. Ice spirits. Hmm. Didn't like it. Interesting guess. 
Well, the, the movie I searched for didn't pop up correctly. It came up a porno. <laughs> so Mike did. I just Mike did no, I'm just joking. It. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, I really don't know. I, I've never heard of. I never heard it. Any, I really any guess at all? I wouldn't even know. I, it's I really gonna be like right. a duh moment whenever we see it. Yeah. All right. So no guess for Mike. When you open the door to the unknown, there's no telling who will drop in or who will drop dead. Which board? Never even heard of it. Oh, it's it's Ke- a it's an okay movie. Ke- I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Yeah, Kevin Tenney. All right, this one may be a little bit easier for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if Mike will get this. I think Tyler might get it. Uh, it's kind of a long one here, but here we go. Oh, Once God. there was a man whose prison was a chair. The man had a monkey. They made a strange pair. The monkey ruled the man. It climbed inside his head. And now, as fate would have it, one of them is dead. The monkey shines. That's right. Tyler got it. Monkey shines. Oh. I I was about to say monkey shits, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness, I was going to say. Can you even consider that a tagline at that point, or is it just like a synopsis? That's the tagline on the poster, yeah. Do you guys want me to uh, to read the next one? Just yeah, for one fun? Just Last one? Go for it. All right. The good news is your dates are here. The bad news is they're dead. So we can think it, it wouldn't be something like uh, my, my, my boyfriend's back or something like that because we're talking about, obviously, it sounds like a double date kind of scenario because yeah. there's dates, plural. So, I'm trying to think of a movie. Mike, you what, should what know you, this because you, the the director of this movie also directed one of your favorite movies. That still doesn't give me any help. What year? Um, let's see, 1986. God, and say and say the tagline just one more time. The good news is your dates are here. The bad news is. They're dead. Hey Siri, I'm just playing. I don't even have a guess for this one. I really don't. What was it? Slash? No, not slash for high. That's not dating. Uh, I don't know. I'm awful right. with taglines. The correct answer: Night of the Creeps. Oh, okay. Good movie. All right, you guys suck at tagline trivia, so let's continue on. <laughs> Man, uh, dude, I'm awful at tagline. so, yeah, the taglines are very I'm good with it. Yeah, very wide, very wide, man. Seriously, good for anything. I'm not good at. Tri- I don't know what it is, but I'm not that like good at trivia to begin with. Because honestly, the one I was putting into Google came up a porno, and I was like, I can't be it. <laughs> what did you? What did you put <laughs> in? Surprise you? I'm just, I'm just joking. I really didn't put anything. Like I dropped my phone down. Then I turned off like my picture. I was like, "Well, shit." <laughs> because here I am. I'm like laying in. A, I'm laying on my chair, and I got like the pillow up and everything. And I kind of like had it propped up, and it fell down. It's like so. right as soon as Mike was like, "I don't know what the answer is," and then immediately the camera shut off, and Mike was like, "Uh, hang on a second. <laughs> Sorry, yeah." <laughs> I was like, "That motherfucker's cheating." <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, listen, guys, before we actually – another thing before we get started, um, I think we all should give a shout-out to Stephen Cognetti's new film. He's a friend of the show. He's been on before. 
And um, he has his new Hell House um, LLC installment, the Carmichael Manor. It comes on Shutter. Is it? I think it's October thirtieth. Is that day? Yeah, pretty, pretty sure. Yep. yep. His trailer just dropped, and I think it it definitely seems. If you're like you're a fan of the first, it has very similar kind of vibes. So I'm really excited to see what he does with it. It sounds like it's gonna be very interesting. Just by watching the trailer, it gives me like it gives me goosebumps for for the beginning of this i i loved each film i know we all kind of feel differently about these films obviously the very first film was amazing in my opinion um the second one was good the third one was okay but i feel like just from what they displayed it through the trailer <clears throat> it it looked really interesting and uh kind of frightening so i'm all for it and uh i think steven cognetti is a genius when it comes to these subtle kind of creepy horror movies. Um, I thought he did very well and, um, I'm really looking forward to it to, and hopefully when getting back on the show after, after this is all done. Oh yeah. I'm absolutely down for it. Well, I mean, one thing I will say before we move on as well is I think that it's one of those films that comes along. Um, hello. So I'll see the very first one. It's one of those films that comes along and, people kind of just discover it by accident because it really had no press, nobody talking about it until it just pops up on streaming and then people slowly kind of saw it. And then everybody collaboratively just finally was able to say, Hey, we, we love this movie and now it has an entire following. So I think it's great. It's not too often. I feel, I feel like it blew up really quickly too. Like after we all kind of discovered it, and then I'm not saying we like set, but it was just quick and like a very fast pace. I saw all these horror sites and even like Facebook, social media apps. It was popping up left and right and everybody was finding this out later. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm glad they did finally. Uh, but I mean, this to me, it was a great trilogy. First one actually stood out the most. It was, it was a great trilogy. Now we have this one, which is going to be very exciting. Yeah, so, I mean, guys, go back and listen to that episode because what me and Mike's talking about here, um, he actually mentions in the episode as well. So if you want to hear him talk more about that, he goes into, you know, a deep dive detail of how overnight he just woke up and the movie was just everywhere and how shocked he was, how shocked everybody was. So I think that that truly says something about the series, and um, we want to congratulate him for sure. But, um, all right, let's get down to what we've watched. I know you guys have watched Halloween too. <laughs> Before we get there, I guess I'll mention one that I watched last night. Um, it was Elevator Game. Um, Elevator Game is a Shutter original. It was from this year, so it just came out. Um, it's actually Rebecca McKendry, which is um, other podcaster. She's been in the horror um, kind of scene for a very long time now. She used to work for Fangoria. Now she's a professor, Dr. Professor McKendry, McKendry I should say. So um, a lot of – I mean, she's been doing stuff for a very long time, and this is her second film that she's made, so I think it's really cool that she did step into the world of filmmaking. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, Elevator Games certainly um, – blew up in terms of like being a creepy plot pasta. So that's how it kind of became a, a thing. And I think that she even mentioned it um before on the show that they were on, but um, essentially what it is, is this woman goes into an elevator. It's a social media challenge too. So she's on her phone 
and she goes up to like the fourth floor and then takes it back down to the second floor, takes it back up to the sixth floor, and then the tenth floor. Whenever you get to the tenth floor, there's a very specific kind of thing you have to do. You have to hit the fifth floor, and then once you hit that, you have to close your eyes. Once the door opens up, there's a urban legend that is known as, like, the woman on the fifth floor. And if you open your eyes, if you look at her, if you talk to her, no matter what, she'll, like, either A, curse you, or B, like, hold you there and, like, kill you. Like, horrible things were known to happen. No one had really done it before, so they didn't really know how it would turn out. But the entire, like, cold open to this was this girl going into the elevator, like, pushing all the buttons. And it's kind of... I want to say it's very well done because this scene was, I should say, not the movie, but the scene overall was very well done because it did have that Hitchcockian style suspense. And I was like, you know, I'm really down for this. I think this is going to be great. I mean, it seemed like it was really interesting. And then it cuts and then you see the opening credits. And from there, it kind of just goes south. Here are the problems. We have a group here that is basically like a horror web show or they have like a podcast web show or something and they are about ready to lose a sponsorship with this uh, this company i always call it athletic greens because you can tell it's trying to be like an athletic greens kind of like spinoff and they're like oh my god we're gonna lose this sponsorship and we need to do something quick and they end up calling the um like the sponsor themselves and they say you know what can we do to keep your sponsorship to keep this show alive? And they're like, you know, I need you to have a video out by next week. So they were like, what do we do? We need to like film a video and get it done by next week. Then they end up saying, oh, well, let's go film the elevator game that, you know, apparently this girl died doing it. And there's a lot of weird things surrounding this building with this elevator. So let's go try it out for ourselves. That's the setup. So, um, you basically spend the next hour and 10 minutes watching this kind of unfold. Um, nothing happens. And then obviously there's like a curse at the end. There's a bunch of stuff, but essentially it doesn't work because the group themselves is using a camera from like 2007. So it has this kind of like weird kind of throwback vibe, but it seems extremely dated. And we know it's from like today because the thing is, is that all the people were talking about like TikTok and Instagram and they were, it was very much like influencer horror, but it was like made by, it seemed like, I don't know if like it was written this way or what, but it was, it felt very just old. Like it, it was definitely not up with today. Is this, was this uh, based on that story, that real life case of that girl that went missing in that hotel where her body was found like a week later in the water tank? Do you remember that? Like the, the story of this girl. The, the hotel in like California or something like that or? Yeah. That, where or like the, on Skid Row. Like a, what is it called? Yeah. Yeah. Where she was like, she went missing and like there was creepy footage of her like on the elevator and she was like, like somebody mm-hmm. was following her or looking at her and she kept going out and looking in the hallway, but there was nothing there. And then she was never seen again. And she ended up turning up in like the actual hotel water tank like supply. It was like really weird story of how everything happened and nobody figured out how she ever got there and really creepy footage. But uh, is this based like, you know, loosely based on that? Um, I don't think so. I know exactly what you're talking about, but this was based off of like a creepypasta or urban legend. Um, the urban legend I think is known as like the woman on the fifth floor. 
I've never read it, hmm. but I just know from like the, the film itself and then hearing like, you know, about the film that it was based off that urban legend. So, I mean, it very well, that urban legend could have been based off of that, I guess, but the film is only exclusively based off of that urban legend. Gotcha. Yeah. But oh. overall, I mean, like, it's very, it feels a little cheap, and I understand, you know, to be a Shutter original filmed independently, it's not going to be perfect, but these characters were extremely stale. They didn't have any kind of dimension at all to them. The way they spoke to each other was very, like, robotic and kind of uncomfortable. The entire time you had to, like, you know, you were basically watching a short film that had been stretched to what I felt like was, like, 90 minutes. And it is, it, I mean, it's a 90-minute film. So just not a lot happens. It doesn't feel very authentic. The characters aren't very good. It's just kind of a mess as well. Um, hmm. opening scenes fun. Like, like the first like five minutes of the film, like you're like, this is going to be great, but you know, it doesn't end up that way. So I did end up giving it a pretty low score. But aside from that, it's definitely something like if you have shutter, I would definitely just like watch like the first five minutes and see how you think about it and then kind of decide from there. Because I, I was hooked for a while and it didn't wear off, but I don't know. It's just whenever you have a character that's being like haunted, you kind of need to give a shit about that character to like care if they're going to live or die. So if I didn't give a shit about any of the characters and they're very inauthentic, why would I care? You know what I mean? So the film kind of just fells there. So I definitely would say to not watch it. <laughs> Chris, yeah, you're muted. Can you hear me? Yeah. What right, you sorry about that, guys. Big one? Um, yeah, that's what I, yeah. <laughs> the entire time Tyler was talking, like, it was crazy. <laughs> um, Something about elevator games just give me gas. i do really want to check out the film though i know you said it's not really worth checking out but i'm a sucker when it comes to like elevators there's there's a movie that is called the lift from like the 80s that i always really liked there's that short film called elevated that i really really love that i recommend anybody that's listening to check out the short film um elevated from the early 2000s late or might have been like late 90s um but I also really like Re- Rebecca McKendry. She's really cool. She she does a podcast. I listen to a lot of her podcasts she's done. Uh, she shows up on a lot of those documentaries for horror films and everything as well. Um, so I really like to check it out, not only to support that, but uh, just because I love, you know, I really like elevator type movies. I don't know why, but I'm interested in checking out. I mean, like, Rebecca McKendry's great. I love her to death. Um, and I like, I mean, I, I did like her um, last film, Glorious. If you guys have watched it, it's it's actually really good. I want to see it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know if um I could say Elevator Games is necessarily her fault that it didn't turn out correctly. I don't know if the you know there's probably tons of stuff that happens behind the scenes that we don't know about. So there could have been multiple factors to why it didn't turn out the way it should have. But the premise is interesting. It just again, it just felt like it was very dated for what it was it just it kind of seemed like a movie that was trapped in like 2005 trying to be like forced out in 2023 and obviously technology's changed influencer there's actually a movie on shutter that came out what last month called influencer i liked it um but it was much more like what influencers would actually do today 
All right, y'all, talk about Halloween, too. (laughs) It's it's the best of the best. And by y'all, I mean Mike can just go on about how he likes Halloween, too. All right. I could. I am a sucker for Halloween too. Um, for me, the the part that really drew me into this film is because it's more of almost kind of like you get that feel of the first person, like you're viewing it through Michael Myers' eyes. You know, like the creepy vibe, like the camera shot is kind of like following him in a way in the beginning and. And it's really focused around around him, which I loved how it you know it immediately picked up from Halloween one. Um, and to me, actually, Lax and I were talking about this a few days ago. There's such an iconic scene in Halloween two. It's when it's in the beginning when the old lady and the man are in their house and she's fixing like a sandwich for him, and like they're watching the TV and. Michael like kind of sneaks through the the side door to the kitchen, and it shoot and it's this shot, this film sh- shot that it's like from the living room back to her into the kitchen, and Michael Myers is like standing behind her. I think that I remember. Well, I remember seeing that as maybe I think I was nine or ten years old at the time. I was frightened, and I still, at almost forty years old, I still kind of. I can't take my eyes off of that. It, it, it's very, it still is kind of a bothering scene because like she has no clue that she he's behind her. Here's this notorious killer. And in all of our eyes, we have to respect, I feel, poor icon. He's just standing there. And I, to me, it's the best mask. And I, and I feel like it's one of the best um, characters that are actors that played Michael Myers and uh, Warlock. Uh, it's the way he carried himself, the way he moved, his his just his overall demeanor. I thought he did very well. So, I mean, Halloween two. I could go all day about this film. The yeah, you're talking Mike, the stalker vibe. That scene that you're talking about, it's it is a really creepy scene, you know. And that that old man's watching Night of the Living Dead, so it adds like atmosphere of like Halloween and everything. And then uh, it's it's at the beginning of the film as well. So you're talking. The movie starts, it has the, it leaves off from the first night and then immediately goes straight into that scene, which it's already creepy. You know what you're getting in for. It's going to be creepy throughout the whole thing. And it doesn't let up. It keeps going. It's actually one of the yeah. most action packed of the Halloween films because the second the movie starts, something's happening, whether it being Michael attacking someone, killing someone, stalking someone, D- Donald Pleasant's character having all these different things. Like even whenever Michael isn't around, you have the scene with like Ben Tramer dressed up where he gets, you know, the cop car runs him over and blows him up and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of stuff like that. And it's just such a great movie. Uh, and the, the music uh, too. I think, I think the music is. If not one point, yeah. If it's not as good as the original Halloween theme, it's very, very close. Like whenever I think of the Halloween theme, like I that that theme is always going to be top notch, the best Halloween music ever. But that is very, very close to being just right up there because I always think of that same type of techno music when I think of the Halloween theme. It's just that, just it sounds really good for sure. 
Yeah. And actually something interesting is I always listen to is um how John Carpenter talks about how the only reason it turned out that way was he wanted something very like simple but kind of haunting. So he remembered that his like dad got him a set of bongo drums growing up. Have you heard the story? And he used to he used to like know like what was like five four time or four five time and he was able to play the bongo drums like bum 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 and that's how like the bongos would be set up. And what he did was he only had four days to record the score for the original Halloween. So he literally just did that on the piano, but made it more like, you know, kind of like off key. And it turned out to be absolutely horrifying. So I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the music, I think everything about the Halloween 2 is just, I mean, to me, it's it's almost perfect. I'm not going to say it's a perfect film, but it it is almost. Um and like what I mean about the first person, it's like, God, you kind of feel like you're walking behind Michael Myers the whole time, even in the hospital when he like they're in the nursery, like he's in there kind of watching the nurses. And it's like even that part, it's you you feel like you're there. And that's one of the main that's one of the only Halloween films that you kind of feel like you're there. And I thought they did a very good or a very well job, a very good job on on the shots uh, from from this film. Yeah, one of my favorite things about the movie is in the opening, whenever it leads from the original film to Halloween 2, and Donald Pleasance, um, or Dr. Loomis runs outside, and the next door neighbor comes out and is like, what's going on? What's all, with all this racket out here? I've been trick or treated to death. And then Dr. Loomis is like, you don't know what death is! And just runs away. Like, that cracks a me. Moment. I love that scene. And then later on too, um, Whenever, you know, he's talking to the sheriff and he's like, I shot him six times, sheriff. I shot him six times. Like it's, I don't know. There's so many quotes from this film that just stick with you and just, you love to say them. Like anytime I hear somebody mention the word six, I think of, of, you know, shot him six times and I have to quote him all the time. Yeah. I mean, it also is notoriously known for like the, my favorite death of all time and like the Halloween franchise has to be from Halloween too with the hot tub i always think about that scene yeah. uh-huh. i can't think of halloween 2 without thinking of the like hot tub scene <laughs> I, I noticed <laughs> I think you, you guys did it. you guys did the commentary for halloween 2 uh earlier this year around like uh march and i was listening to it because i was on vacation when you all recorded this so i was listening back to it and you guys are talking mid-conversation during the hot tub scene. And all of a sudden, both of you just stop talking. <laughs> and this is silence for like 15 seconds. And then Mike goes, oh, sorry, guys, boobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we right had a moment of silence <laughs> for two perfect knockers. I mean, like, well-rounded, <laughs> perfect nipple placement. I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. But oh, honestly, God. what kills me about that part, and it's a great kill too, but it's when she starts kissing and she think it's she starts kissing Michael's hand. You know his hand has to smell and taste like ass. And like she <laughs> has no clue. No clue. And like, you know, Michael's kind of probably chubbed up and then he kills her. <laughs> oh my god. It's great. It's great. It's great. He got what he wanted, and he killed her. <laughs> well, I mean, desperate times call for desperate measures, Mike. Amen. Amen, dude. 
<laughs> but this movie also has one of the, uh, to me, one of the most cringing kills to it. I don't mean like cringe bad, like it, it feels painful when I see it. And that is when the security officer at the hospital goes to investigate the sounds and he's like in the storage building or whatever. And he's looking around and Michael comes up behind him and hits him in the head with a hammer. For like, I don't know why, but man, every time he hits it, it just makes that, that weird like hook sound. And it just feels yeah. very painful. Like I, every single time I see that movie, I cringe every time. I'm like, oh, that had to hurt. Oh yeah, no. I'm always on the edge of my seat still to this day. It doesn't matter how many times I watch Halloween too. That particular scene, I'm always anticipating it. I'm like, when's it gonna come? When's it gonna come? Because it's just like it's in your face. It's like the most jump scare that gets. I will say this: as yeah. much as I love Halloween too, and it is a, a fantastic, great movie, it also has one of the stupidest dumbest death scenes in the entire franchise and the the love interest of of laurie strode that who is there helping her at the hospital the nurse or whatever and he goes to investigate or to see what's going on and he walks in and sees the nurse that's been killed and she's like bleeding out on the floor and he steps in the blood and slips and falls and just lays there and i guess he got a concussion but because he goes out to the car at the end of the movie and then he just sits there and he's like ah oh, Glory, I'm gonna, and then he just honks the horn with his head because he dies. Like that is the, I don't know why, but I hate that. That's the dumbest thing ever. Like, come does, on, with does, better than does that. he die though? Does he die, or is it just kind of like he's knocked in, out? In that, in that version, I'm assuming he's dead because a, he's never brought up again. Hmm. They never see him rescued. But right. actually, in the TV version, I, I do think he survives in the TV version because he's in the. I don't That's know if you've I seen thought, the TV maybe, version. Okay. He's in the back yeah. of the ambulance with Laurie Strode in the TV version, That's but in thought. the theatrical version, he's never seen again. Hmm. Let me tell you all, I, I, TV what... versions confuse the hell out of me because I yeah. sometimes watch a movie on TV or I used to more often. And I'm like, I would swear up and down that's how the movie was. And then I watched the film forgetting I watched it on TV with the TV version. And I would be like, wait, it was nothing like what I remember it. What the hell is going on? And then I'm like, I swear to God, it ended like this. And then the TV version is something completely different. Yeah. I agree. For sure. Well, I watched something uh, today, actually, and I don't want to start a debate for A24 anymore. But I do want to mention that I watched a trailer for a movie coming out starring Nicolas Cage from A24, and it's called Dream Scenario. I haven't seen it. Uh, it it's actually one of the few trailers I've seen from A24 that gets me interested in seeing the movie. It's not necessarily horror as A24 usually isn't, but it's about this character played by Nicolas Cage who everybody starts having dreams about this particular person. And he, they, they, they confront him about it. They're like, Hey, I had a dream about you last night. And it starts off with nothing bad. Like he's just in the background of their dream. And then, like, as they keep dreaming over and over, like, every single night, they have another dream, and he's in the same dream again. But he's getting – he's doing different things every time. Like, he's getting more involved with the dreams. And he has no idea. Like, he's just like, I don't know why this is happening to me, why people are dreaming about me, but it's – you know, I'm getting famous for it, so cool. I'll go sign people's autographs and stuff. And then, I guess, like, all the dreams start getting more violent, and he becomes, like, a killer and killing them in their dreams to where everybody starts fearing him and hating him because of it. So it looks really interesting, and I really want to see what they do with it because I, I really love Nicolas Cage, and it seems like a really cool idea. Yep. Oh, yeah, I have to watch the trailer for sure because I love Nick Cage. I love E24. 
It sounds like it's going to be interesting. Love Mandy. I love his over. And the, the trailer did look kind of like similar to a vibe of Mandy. So we'll see. But I have another movie I watch, and this is a movie that a lot of the listeners has probably seen because it's the biggest horror movie right now. Unfortunately, that is The Nun 2. Now, oh, yeah. <laughs> has, has either of you guys watched The Nun, the very first one? I've seen none of those movies. <laughs> no, sir. No. Like, no. So The Nun 2 takes place like four years after the original Nun, and you could tell their budget's just getting out of hand at this point. And that's really what the film has going for it is these like amazing sets. Like it, it's absolutely gorgeously like dressed. And honestly, everything about the film was very crafted um, in a way that was tailored to like the conjuring universe kind of style. And you could tell they had like this James Wan S kind of shots as well. Even though this James Wan had nothing to do with this film at all. But um I would say it really kind of just went on the same line of the original Nun, which I did not like. And really the set design was all I had going for it. Um I had a lot of issues with the pacing. It was very slow. Not a lot was going on. And something that was really weird was, and this is from the trailer, so you guys might even be able to remember this. There's a scene in the trailer, there's a scene in the movie that the girl, which her name's Irene in the movie, Sister Irene, she walks up to a, like a magazine wall, which my fiance was saying it was a newspaper stand. It's just a magazine wall. And it's in the middle of this like 16th century S style seminary or like, you know, this whole like almost as a castle, the way it's set up. Walks up to this wall of like newspapers and it's just in the middle of nowhere. So there's no people around this wall of newspapers. Everything's very like old school, kind of like, you know, 400 years old. And we have these like 1960s-esque style newspapers. I don't know. But there was just like a lot of things that was very out of place about it. Um, the vibe was very nice though. So in terms of the, the graphics, like I said, it was put together very well. But overall, it's basically just a continuation of the nun. It's four years later. We talk about the origins of Valak, which is the demon that was in the original nun. Um, it really, really moves slow. I think the, I actually, whenever you guys were talking about Halloween too, I looked up the budget cause I knew it had to be high and I'm actually reading here. It's $38 million, which for a horror movie is pretty high. Um, now I will say another good thing going for it besides having really great graphics, um, but terrible story, terrible pacing, nothing really happening throughout and really stupid logic, a lot of logic issues, I will say. Made no sense. But at the end of it, there's a mid credit scene. I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin this for you guys, but I really want to talk about it. And I think that in case you guys don't see the Nun Two for a very long time, it'll already be run for you without having to see it. So there's a mid credit scene, and it's actually Ed and Lorraine Warren that pops up, which they have nothing to do with the story, but it kind of like it kind of sets up um, the Conjuring Three. And it kind of like loops the whole Conjuring universe together from like the Nun to, or the Conjuring Four. Sorry, Chris, is it we've had, we're in eighty three, right? Yeah, three was the the Devil made me do it, and then two crap. Oh. The Conjuring, the Conjuring Two, the Conjuring, the Devil made me do it. That's what okay, yeah. that's what I'm getting yeah. confused. So yeah. yeah, so we have the fourth Conjuring film um, being teased, 
So I think that was worth seeing the movie alone. I was like, that was the one moment I, per- at, the, at the end of the film, I was like, man, this has been a waste of an hour and a half. I really like completely hated this film just as much as I hated the first one. Um, I was like, you know, whatever. And I was getting up to walk out. And the next thing I knew, Ed and Lorraine Warren appears on the screen. And then I immediately just went like 180 in my mood. I was like, what? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I mean, the nun two probably would be like a four out of 10. Um, the original nun for me was probably a four out of 10. They're both on the same level. Nothing was scary. Um, Chris would hate it because it's nothing but jump scares and it's in the worst way. It's oh. the worst way. And then, it, it, there's something wrong with your film whenever you go to make a jump scare, which is already cheap to begin with, which, I mean, anybody's going to jump whenever something jumps out on screen with them, but they don't even carry the jump scare through. So it'll, it'll be like a jump scare. will be anticipating like, Oh my God, here comes a jump scare guys. Here comes a jump scare. And they'll go to the next scene and they'll just talk. And then it'll hmm. again. Here comes a jump scare guys. Here comes a jump scare. Talk. And I'm like, okay. So your film's not that scary. There was only a couple scenes where, like, you actually even seen Valak. Probably had about three or four minutes of screen time. The other hour and 20 minutes was watching the sisters walk around and talk about how it's, you know, things are going wrong. And then Valak would come on screen for a couple seconds. like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Nothing. There was intense moment, though, where I think it was, like, in the first 10 minutes. um, Valak literally comes in and... There's this like little like choir boy or like, you know, some kind of altar boy or something. And he's downstairs. He's gathering this wine and he comes back upstairs and the, um, the father is standing there and he's kind of like, Oh, you know, where were you? But he heard something is why he came up and they turn around and Valak is like there. And he, the Valak literally lifts the guy up like in the middle of like the entire cathedral and it's kind of crazy because it's, it's a beautiful shot like you can see panoramic view of this entire cathedral and wow. like casting like this like crazy like fireball toward him and then like, the guy like burns to death like in the middle of the scene and then it comes up and says the nun too so that was a great image i really like that but sadly that's where it ended it was very boring didn't like it does it leave off for like the third, like a possibility of another one. You know, I think here's how the only thing it leaves off. It doesn't it actually ties all loose ends at the end. But mm. like that, like I talked about that mid credit scene, it's either leading up to the Conjuring Four, or gotcha. they could, I guess, title it the Nun Three, but then have Ed and Lorraine Warren come in to investigate the Nun because it didn't really specify if it would be coming back to like see what was going on there for that reason, or if it was, like, The Conjuring 4, but it seemed a lot to me like it was leaning more toward, like, The Conjuring 4, which I'm okay with, even though The Conjuring 3 wasn't that good. Um, I love the first two, so I will yeah. definitely be there. Well, you know, you guys could um, chip in with this, because I think this will be a very open discussion in terms of what the subject is. You guys already kind of know a preview, because I was really mad after I watched it. I'm going to talk about August Underground. A lot of people maybe okay. listen to this kind of scratching their head like what the hell is August Underground because it's definitely one of those films that's not mainstream. It's kind of like a sheltered horror. It was very out of print for a long time. Um, I think it was like hundreds of dollars for the DVD. It recently got re-released on Blu-ray and I have 
heard nothing but people talk about how sought after these films are and how much like, you know, how hard it is to come across a copy because they always go offline because it's so intense. And I'm like, okay, I'm not one that's watching a Serbian film. Um, I've seen Martyrs. I've seen like, you know, films like Thirst. I've seen all, all the fringe extremity films I've seen. But then I put on August Underground, um, out of curiosity, cause I'm like, you know, how bad could this film be if it's been, you know, re-released and it's on Blu-ray and people are talking about it. And I just really didn't see, I know it's supposed to be, I should set this up first. So it's supposed to be a snuff film. Snuff films were like the, the violence and horror side of it's kind of more towards like realism. So yeah, it was stuff. from what the director says, uh, Fred Vogel, it was never intended to be anticipated as a movie. It was only supposed to be made as a snuff film. Like he actually went out in the production after the movie was made. He copied everything to VHS tapes. Uh, he went through and left them at just random places. He would leave them in subways. He would leave them in like go and take them to people's houses, just drop them off on the doorsteps that people would discover these and think that they are watching a legit snuff movie. That's what he wanted. There was no intention to ever be like, hey, I have a movie. I'm going to go promote my movie. This is it. Like it was never intended that way. That's wild. What about the second? I, and the third? I did not know that. Second and the third one are a little different, I think. But the first one was always made to be a legit, to make it look like a legit snuff movie. Hmm. So I've heard of. I mean, I've heard of him talking about that before. I, I mean, I didn't know that he didn't want it seen by people in terms of like being a film, like actually, like you know, being shown. I thought that was more like a promotional thing. Yeah, like he didn't that, have it showed at like festivals or anything like that. It wasn't one of those things. It was he wanted you to just discover the movie, just make just find it and think that it's a real hmm. thing that you've watched by accident. Well, t- to me, after I watched it, there was no redeeming factors at all. And now keep in mind this was probably not made for me. Um and after you made that comment there, it reminds me maybe that we can't really even talk about the like the story or criticize like anything like that because there really wasn't any story to it at all it was mostly just scenes of very drawn out torture but i guess it kind of like i i kind of was questioning myself i turned it off and i'm like okay people who watch this claim to be horror fans like it's made and like people are like oh it's the most disturbing it was like part of the most disturbing films iceberg and there was like these films that start out as high up as like it and the babadook and then goes down the picture chainsaw massacre and then it goes down to more and then it just gets deeper and deeper in the iceberg and then august underground's obviously toward the bottom so I'm like, this is probably going to be the most disturbing horror movie ever. And it's very much marketed towards horror fans, but I can't say it's horror. And I don't understand why people would kind of group that, I guess you would say, as horror fans into saying, oh, I, I this is like a sought after horror film that I want to watch. So I was kind of like wanting to get your guys' opinion on this too, because as a horror fan, and I've I've loved horror since I've been like, six or seven years old discovering it by myself. I personally could not consider this horror. I don't consider something that goes along the lines of torture, but no storyline to be for horror fans. I think it's made for a completely different demographic. I'm not sure what that demographic is or what their mental state's like, but it's definitely not something that I would want to associate with being horror. You know what I mean? 
Agreed. Yeah, I get uh, what you're I'm saying. Not, yeah. I've never seen it. I don't – I've always wanted to see it just to see, like, what he mm-hmm. does with it because I've heard interviews with him talking about it and everything. And that's just always been a curiosity of mine. But when it comes to, like, am I interested in watching the movie, I don't care if I really ever see it or not. Uh, at one point in time, I was trying to just own every horror film I could possibly think of, so I did try to find it, but from where it was out of print, and you had to spend so much money for it, I never did pick it up, so I never did get a chance to watch it. Um, I'm not a fan of those type of movies. I don't care for the snuff look of movies. or I, I think no. it's weird whenever somebody, when their favorite movie, when they're like, oh, man, that's one of my favorite horror movies ever made is August Underground or any of those, type, like the Faces of Death movies and all these. I just, I don't understand it i don't see what the fuck what the rewatchability or what the point of liking those type of movies would be necessarily that's just me though but i mean i guess there's something for everyone um like you said the uh the serbian movie i have no interest in ever watching that ever in my life i care less about it uh, i don't care if it pops up on people's must watch lifts or anything that's uh, not for me so yeah same yeah well, man, yeah, yeah, I'll I watched it because it was so hard to find, and you know, it just recently came back into print. So I'm like, you know, it's either now or never kind of thing. And I was, it was kind of weird because I was like in a good mood about it. I was like, you know, I'm gonna put this on. I'm gonna watch it. This is great. I can't wait. And then the moment like it starts, I'm like, this isn't what I signed up for. So I started like skipping through and just like stopping it throughout. I probably watched like 35 minutes of screen time. And then it gets to the end, and I don't even like watch the last 10 minutes of it. And I'm like, you know, that was enough for me. I know exactly what it is. Yeah, apparently part two and three takes like each one takes a step further of what is acceptable for what you're seeing. Like you think that you think what happens in the first movie is all these horrible, explicit things that you're seeing. And then part two goes one step beyond. And then part three goes one step beyond part two to where you th- you start questioning whether or not this person is like legit, legitimately like insane doing this stuff. Um and I've also heard him, and don't quote me for word for word on this, but apparently, like listening to stories of his, um, it was like banned in a lot of countries. But I want to say there was like it was banned in, in Canada, and yeah. he was doing a festival or something over in Canada, and he had a bunch of copies of it in his car. So whenever he traveled from U.S. to Canada, he got stopped at the you know midway or at the crossing point, and they searched his vehicle. And when they found the copies of him, they confiscated the copies of him and they, they arrested him. And he was in jail. Like he had to spend a couple of days in jail or something like that because he had uh, forbidden material or something like that over in Canada. That's hilarious though. Hmm. <laughs> I was uh, like, they're not going to let that come over there. No, it is. Yeah, they're like, no contraband. <laughs> <laughs> Get your stuff from out of our country. But no, I mean, like, it is very realistic. I mean, I guess you may be able to applaud the acting. <laughs> That's if you want to say something about it. Like, it was pretty, you know, it seemed pretty real. So, I mean, hmm. it's something that I would not recommend, though. And it's, it's kind of weird yeah. because I know I mentioned, okay, I mentioned August Underground, didn't really care for it at all. The Nun 2, didn't really care for it. Elevator Game, <laughs> didn't really care for it. So I'm, I know I'm negative Nancy today. But you had a bad week of movie watching. Didn't you? I know. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, if I did recommend one, I think that people will have fun with Elevator Game out of all those. Um, definitely don't watch August Underground. But, um, you know, The Nun 2, it, it was nice to look at. It was kind of cool to see horror get a big budget. But overall, 
Elevator Game was probably the only one I could even remotely suggest, and I didn't really care for it either. So that's my hot takes for the day. Hello. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we'll take a quick break, and we will come back for some Carpenter. Excuse me, Lori. Oh, Mr. Brackett, I'm sorry, Mr. Brackett. Oh, I didn't mean to startle you. That's all right. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Welcome back. Now, we're ready to talk about our movies this week. So, I will go first with Halloween, the original, 1978. So, if you haven't seen this film... Get out of Under the Rock you're living, so you need to watch this. Um, so Halloween, John Carpenter, I think it's the most iconic slasher film, in my opinion. This is what drove me to fall in love with horror movies in general. Um, it really got me excited about scary movies. I remember being seven or eight years old when I first saw this with my father on TV. And it frightened the living shit out of me. Um, it was just, I think, the overall presence of how the character Michael Myers um, was presented. Um, dark, kind of um, stalkerish, um, slow, nothing fast-paced, but overpowering strong that just caught my attention, even at a young age. And now being even older, you know, growing up and watching this, it, it it's still the same for me. So when I think slasher, I think the king of slasher, I think Michael Myers. And Halloween, the original 1978, does it for me. Um, it's set in Haddonfield, Illinois, and the story of Halloween begins uh, the night in 1963 where uh, we witness it started out with Michael Myers being young stabbing his younger sister to death with a kitchen knife. Opening, basically opening scene. I'm sorry, our older sister. Basically <laughs> opening scene. And, um, I mean, I tell you what, if you're going to get it wrong, Lex is going to call you out. But, um, <laughs> um, this is supposed uh, to be one sister, of your favorite movies, Mike. Uh, uh, older sister. Sorry, my bad. Older sister. You know, and then the plot just jumps. Like, the movie just jumps, what, like 15 years. Um, a quick span, you know, where Myers is, has grown, <clears throat> he remains silent, and he's placed in a mental hospital uh, where he was confined. But soon he escapes from the facility, and he finds a way to go back to his hometown to kill some more. How does and he learn to drive his car? You know, how does people listening? learn to write? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, that, that <laughs> definitely was left out. He's a great but, driver, honestly. Like he can do some crazy ass. <laughs> he is. He it's stops crazy. stop signs and red lights and everything. Like he I'm, tricks I'm, with it. Like he can like do some like you know whips. <laughs> and and I, I truly believe Halloween is probably one of the probably one of John Carpenter's greatest finest works of his career. Um, in in my opinion, I think that's what what has made it for John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Now, I like it argue with me on this, but I think with just Halloween in general, it, it's really boosted him at the at the top front runner of four icons as, as a producer, as a writer. Um, 
but but I truly believe that. And and Halloween, the original Halloween, will do that. Um, from do you guys Jamie? Do you guys think that? Uh, do you guys think that the the story or the rumor that he got the idea to make Halloween from Bob Clark, who you know directed Black Christmas? Uh, there's a, I don't know if you've heard about it, Mike, but there's a rumor that he had he had a, a chat with Bob Clark and he was talking about making like holiday slasher films, and he said it would be a lot better if they made one that took place on Halloween. And then Carpenter made Halloween like the year the next year. Do you guys believe that rumor? I don't think so. I think Carpenter I, I claims yeah, I that know. I say Carpenter claims that he he came up with the idea all by himself. So, hmm, I don't first know. of all, I think I think it is important that we cover this film because, as you know, when everybody thinks of like horror, it's like oh, Halloween. Obviously, everybody's gonna cover it, but I think it often gets like overshadowed, and for these reasons as well, Chris. So I think that you know people weren't really talking about the fan theories and kind of like the legacy that it left. Um, but I mean, definitely, I think that what the way I understand it, here's here's the narrative I believe. I believe that John Carpenter was a young director and he was on fire at the time. Like he was, he had just made dark star turned around, made salt on precinct 13. Um, both of them um, didn't do very well, but he, they at least got his name out there. And when you're a young director, I know now he's like kind of like an old grumpy man that doesn't like talking about any of his past works because he doesn't love the horror industry. But in order to be burned out at one time, you had to be on fire, right? You had to be like really in love with what you did. So for me, I feel like John Carpenter really just poured himself into this project because it was at a time that he was given this opportunity. So I don't think that anybody necessarily gave him that idea. I feel like he was approached by his story. If I remember correctly, it's been, I've, I remember I've heard this story. I don't know where I got it from, but I could swear I heard John Carpenter say that, how did he say it? It was like, he got the idea from a distributor or like a production company, which was owned by um, like Deborah Hill and people like some of like, they were like all part of this production company and they approached him with this like idea to make this like babysitter style murder kind of like, you know, slasher film but it wasn't called slasher obviously because it didn't exist at the time it was new and they basically just went with it from there and then they ended up calling it halloween because it just sounded like a better title it had not been used before so yeah, it was originally titled the babysitter murders right the i think it was the babysitter mm-hmm. killer babysitter killer, I thought it was yeah. babysitter murder a killer okay maybe it was murder Should we look, i could check to make sure if you guys want to yeah, Halloween has always been one of those that it it plays on the holiday itself. So you know you're going to have a profit if every single Halloween they're going to play your movie because it's called Halloween. Nobody's going to make another movie for the rest of eternity called Halloween because they're just yeah. not going to do it. You know, it's not copyright. You can't copyright a holiday or anything. So, like, if somebody wanted to, they could make a movie called Halloween, but nobody's going to even try to do that ever. But um, I mean, they could they could they could try, but they'll never live up to the expectations of what the, the iconic Michael Myers, because, you know, they can come out with creatures, they can come out with killers. But the big thing that separates Michael Myers 
is just the overall like Michael Myers is faceless. Like he's mm. he, he he the 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 unknown because the fear comes from the unknown. And that's what scare is scary about Michael Myers. You know, it, it's a white mask. It's not a scary white mask, but it's a white mask. It's like what's under it. You don't know what's under it. What type of person is he? Like, so that's like more bone chilling than the fear of like knowing who's under the mask is not knowing. And it's the unpredictable, like how unpredictable Michael Myers is. You know, we know yeah. he's evil, but like, but, and then we know he's un, like, un, I mean, freakishly strong. But it's that slow pace. It's never that he tries to overdo anything. He's always kind of a calm killer. He doesn't try to overdo anything. And that's like, to me, it's, it's just like, it's his natural habit. Like, it's just like, you know, standing up after sitting down. It's just his natural way of living is, is killing. And to me, when I think of Michael Myers, I just think of, Faceless, unknown, powerful, bone chilling, creepy. I, I I don't really know how else to put it because he it's he's simple. He's he's simple, but he's scary. And like to me, you have like Ghostface, which is you know I mean in Scream, love it. But you kind of know it's going to be like a somebody's been pissed off in another movie. You kind of you know you, there's possible leads who you may know. You know, um, but with Michael Myers, it, it you don't really get a full story, though. He just went crazy. He just kind of snapped when he was younger. And that's it. And then it just yeah, goes and, on. And Donald, now, uh, Dr. Loomis, character played by Donald Pleasance, does a great job explaining the reason behind everything with simple context of just saying he's just pure evil. It's there's yeah, nothing simple, nothing. There's nothing to, to say why he does it. It's just, yeah. Why did Michael Myers do this? Because it's pure evil. And, and that's what I love about this, this character in this film. There's nothing else to it. He's just born evil. He's pure evil. Like, you know, you can't look at him in the eyes and think there's a man behind that mask because there's not. It's just, it's evilness. And that, that simplicity is sometimes the scariest. And for Michael Myers, it's, he is simple and it's frightening. Yeah. And with this movie, though, from the get go, the second the movie starts, it has that theme, the Halloween theme mm-hmm. that everybody loves and knows. Like you could you could play that in your mind all day long. It never gets old. I listen to that that theme all the time. But it's the second the movie starts, that theme plays. It's like the most iconic thing. and It's right off the bat. So yeah. you already are invested because the music is just so it's a creepy music it really is it sets the tone it sets the atmosphere itself without having anything shown and then you have that pumpkin and everything on there as well but the music is just as iconic as the character is in my opinion hands down iconic i mean you hear that song you know oh well that's michael myers you know that's his that's his that's his music it's not halloween's theme music that's michael myers music you know it's like that's what you think of mm. Yeah, I'll, well, the whole entire score is because even the music they have for Laurie Strode's character when she's everywhere, you know, you have the mm-hmm. ding, 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 like that whole soft tone music is, is there as well. And then this, even whenever like the stalking of Michael Myers, when he stalks somebody, you hear like the instead of hearing the Halloween theme, you hear like the dun, dun, dun. 
ding, ding, ding. Like you hear that. And it's just, that's just as iconic as well. I think like it's all different scores, but it's all really, really intrigued. Like, I I think this is one of the the best movies that has like the score placement, like every single segment that the music, the music is placed at is perfect timing for it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And for such a low budget film as well. I mean, this was low, low budget when it was first made. So like done very well with the money they had and, uh, you know, what they worked with. Um, I, I thought they knocked it out of the ballpark. And like I said, I would assume 90% of everyone have seen this movie, but um, just to me in general, this is by far my favorite horror icon, by far my favorite horror franchise. Um, And it's in, in, in the first two, you know, John Carpenter, Halloween 78, and then obviously Halloween two is, is it's the top of the top or when when I think about horror movies, um, but but yeah, I mean if if you guys have any more input input on this, let me know. What was yeah, you, and go ahead, Chris. Sorry, I said this. I was going to say this movie has some really good moments of quotes too. Like we were talking earlier with Halloween too, how there were certain quotes you could always remember from the film. This one has those as well. With the, the scene where Laurie Strode meets the sheriff, uh, while they're walking down the street. And, um, he said, you know, bumps into her. Sorry to scare you. He's like, it's Halloween. I guess everybody's entitled for one good scare. Mm-hmm. That's a really classic moment. It's very well written. Really cool. Um, and then, you know, they use that later on whenever Halloween H2O came out as well, references back. Um, but yeah, the, the whole Dr. Loomis talking about Michael Myers, like, you know, he's got the the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Like just cer- certain quotes from this movie are always gonna stick with me for forever. You know, I don't think I'll ever forget anything from this movie really. I wanna say though that the reason I feel like people love this film so much, because if you look at it I mean I love it. I wanna say that first. But you look at this film and it is an incredibly simple plot. There's nothing really to it at all. But if you look into it, there's two things that this film did first before any other film really truly did before. Um, Birth of the Slasher, um, and that is with Michael Myers being the main character. He is the anti-character. Like he doesn't, there's nothing really, he has a backstory, but he doesn't say anything in the, you know, in, in the entire movie. He's just a force of evil, as Mike mentioned before. And that's something that, not really been done in film before that. So that was something that really kind of, I feel like was capturing to the audience. But then also, if you look back, um, I remember there's this famous, extremely famous interview with, um, Ebert and, um, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. And the way they review Halloween, I've always loved because of the very end of it, this is before anything. This is before the 80s slasher boom, which happened exclusively because Halloween was released. This was before, you know, we got the parodies like Scream, all this stuff. So this is way back before slashers even were a thing. They looked and they said, you know, we love Halloween. 1978, this was recorded too. They said that it was absolutely amazing to see because there was actually a female that was able to take the lead in this film and was able to face her fears and to be able to, to challenge that and come out 
at the very end kind of on top in a way. And they had not seen that really in a horror movie before. So we have the birth of the final girl. Um, There had been women in horror, but not women in horror. That was kind of the way that Halloween said it. And now what we have 12, 13 Halloween films looking back at it, the Laurie Strode legacy just now ended and it's been what 40 plus years now at this point. So it's crazy yeah. back in 1978 before Halloween after Halloween literally was shrouded by no one even wanting to see it. They're like, what the hell is Halloween? You know, we don't have any interest in this. And to I know- never really cared for, for Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie. I don't think she like, you could take that character and replace it with any, actress at that time and i don't think it would have changed anything but look at where it what i'm the point i'm trying to make with it is look at where we how it started something like all the all the the character yes i'm just talking about like the actress itself like i never really cared for her in that role like you could really put any other actress playing laurie strode and i think it would still have the same effect as as it does today well, I, mean, I yeah, think the only the only thing that that's different is because because she became so famous, that's why she's tied so well to this to this movie. I think is because horror fans want to they want that popularity in modern movies and modern cinema and stuff that you know like the Oscars and stuff. They hate horror films, right? But we can we can hold on saying, well, we have somebody who's one of the most popular actresses of all time, and she's in this franchise. But I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> I never really cared for her in this movie. Like she's, I don't know. She doesn't really say much any either. It's just a little bit of mm. random stuff here and there. Well, I mean, yeah, but also looking at it, um, I mean, I, I, I could somewhat see other people in the role as well. But if you think about it, it was only like what a $300,000 film at the time. And in that time, obviously it was more money than today, but it still was like, you know, maybe like what a million dollars, if that. So this was an extremely independent film. So I feel like maybe they were, I think they cast, didn't they cast Jamie Lee Curtis based off of, um, they Psycho, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. it was, Psycho was originally yeah. a film that drew a lot of inspiration for Halloween. So they made the yeah. connection, well, you know. Janet Lee. Let's yeah. Cast, yeah, you know, let's cast the daughter now, kind of thing. And I think that's kind of like why they chose Jamie Lee Curtis to begin with. I mean, take it or leave it though. I think that it's more so not even Jamie Lee Curtis. I think it's more just what that character did for cinema. And to know that, you know, like I said, 40 years in the making and they still were kind of battling it out all the way up until what last year and it just now ended for them. So I think that that's why, I think it's why I love Halloween. Um, I think that's why a lot of people love Halloween because it's not one of those films that's, it was an independent film that had no business being popular. And then it turned out to make like, you know, 50, 60, $70 million. And it's been re-released over and over and over again. And people still talk about it today. So it's more of like a legacy. Like we, we have Halloween, which is an incredibly simple film that was never going to be successful or seen again. And they were done with it. They were like, you know, we're going to make Halloween and move on to something else. And John Carpenter was completely fine with that. He was ready to make something else, but that one film could stand out and inspire an entire generation of not only subgenre of horror, which being the slasher film, but also could turn around and inspire future filmmakers. It's going to inspire future horror fans. For a lot of people, it's their first horror movie. 
Um, the mask, which was just a simple William Shatner mask, is now one of the most iconic masks right up next to Ghostface. So we have all of these like crazy horror first. And we have all these like, you know, things that's really taken the film 45 years later and still is relevant today. And it, like I said, it's so simple and so easy to watch, but it's also saying so much without even having to say yeah. it. So I, I think agree. that's why 100%. Halloween is the way it is today. Yeah, yeah. it is the – I know it has the same title as the holiday, but it, it, it really is the essence of the holiday. It's the essence of Halloween. It puts the atmosphere. It makes you feel like it is the day of Halloween no matter when you watch it. It feels like that fall time no matter when you watch it. And the music is right there with you as well. That helps out a lot. But um, you can watch it any time of the year and just get that ha- Halloween, you know, fall feeling. And I I love that yeah. about this. I agree. I agree 100 million percent on this. Um, I guess I'll, I'll give my rating. Um, uh, to me, when I think of Halloween, and I, I know I talk about Halloween 2 as well, but Halloween 1 and 2, both, com- I mean, they're both each a 10 out of 10 for me. Um, there's not much that would change to this. I mean, even the movie's older now. I still really enjoy watching it. Um, I don't get bored with it. And I get excited about when it does come on TV for a, like, as we are approaching Halloween. And even if it's non, it's, if it's not around Halloween time, I still really enjoy putting the streaming it, putting the old DVD in, or, I mean, I just get, I, I get excited on watching it. It's, it's the best. And, to me, it's it's a ten out of ten. Absolutely, I mean, I'm right there behind you. I would, I mean, have to give it a ten out of ten. I mean, there's no other, there's no other score you could really give it. I mean, it's just flat out a masterpiece for what it's accomplished in the horror community, and um, it's something that continues to live on today. I'm sure it will live on in the future. Agree, man. Yeah, with just the feeling and the atmosphere that it provides. The legacy it's had, the characters it's created, like Doc, Donald Pleasant's character as Dr. Loomis is one of the all-time best characters in horror movie history. Um, Absolutely. And I don't know if you guys know this either, but Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger, was actually on set of making of, of Halloween. And he apparently uh, – I don't know how truthful this is, but he worked on as like an extra on set where he was like cleaning up all the leaves that had blown down the street. And was moving them back to the areas where they were filming so they could make it look more like fall time. Because where they filmed it at, the, you know, wasn't really a place where that mm-hmm. looks like that suburban area and stuff. Um, so I, apparently Robert England had worked on the film, which is kind of cool as well. But That's all weird. in all with the, the music, the quotes that they, that comes from the film, uh, it's everything about it, even though you can pick out some things like, you know, how did Michael Myers be able to drive? Um, at the end of the movie, there's a scene where, you know, when he shoots, shoots uh michael when dr lubman shoots michael in the second one he claimed he shoots him six times but he actually shoots him seven there's little things like that you could you know pick apart but um the movie is always going to be a classic it's always going to be on the top of everybody's list for slashers yeah (laughs) um (laughs) but i i love this movie i think i can watch it at any time and and still enjoy it and i can watch it multiple times in a row and still enjoy it um, it's a 10 out of 10 for me as well. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, there's no other score that we could give it. I mean, I'm glad that it got a 30 out of 30 because it being horror fans, I mean, like we, we owe it to Halloween. Yeah. And not only, I think that, you know, Halloween, you'd be like, Oh, well, you know, it's a six or seven as a film, but overall, if you add all the extra stuff that's done for the horror um, community past that and all the films that it inspired, it gets an extra point for this, an extra point for that. And you get a 10. I mean, you get a 15 if you could. Yeah. Um, some reading material. Um, if anybody's interested, cause I actually read this a couple of years back and I just remembered it as we we're recording this. Um, there's a book called taking shape, developing Halloween from script to screen. Um, it came out just two or three years ago. It is fantastic. Um, it has a lot of really nice insight to the mythology. Um, it also does talk a lot about the, you know, the, the process of pre-production all the way through shooting to development and post-production and the legacy that we've been talking about so much. So definitely if you are a scream fan, not a scream fan, that's why I said that, but if you are a Halloween fan, definitely grab that. What do you yeah. got there, Chris? So I don't remember where I got this from, but it's called Rewind, and it's um, a special Halloween edition uh, magazine, and it literally states, like, all the different interviews and stuff with different cast and crew throughout the films. Um, it's got toys and everything, all the different merchandise and stuff they've ever came out with, as well as listed in here with a big article. Uh, interviews for the new movies whenever, obviously, when it was coming out. This was says Halloween Kills on the back of it, so it came out around the time that Halloween Kills came out. Um, it says TV Guide Magazine Special, so I'm guessing it was made by TV Guide Company. Yeah. So this is really cool. I, I read a little bit of articles in here, some of the interviews with cast and crews of different uh, Halloween films. If you guys get a chance to pick that up, I mean, it's it's something that's, you know, just turn a page and read something off of it and every once in a while and learn something new about Halloween, so... Kind of cool. Well, I love stuff like that. Sure. There's also I, I know we could talk about this all night at this point. Just talk about um, John Carpenter's Halloween books because there's tons. Oh yeah. But there's um one also if you're into coffee table books, it's called um John Carpenter like photographs or on photographs or something. And if you look through it, it's actually really interesting because it talks um about John Carpenter's inspirations as a director throughout his entire career, but also it has a lot of Halloween in there. And there's a lot of like really rare photos from each of the sets. And in the Halloween one, like you could see on one of the images where John Carpenter smoke, like he's smoking a cigarette and they're filming. You can see the, the frame to where you can see that cigarette smoke come up next to it, which is really cool. And they also like point out the palm trees and, you know, like, oh, why, why can we see palm trees if this is in the middle of, you know, Illinois kind of thing? And it's just, you know, there's three palm trees that's, that's showed. So I think it's really interesting to see that in that book. Um, definitely check it out if you're into, like, photos and John Carpenter and his entire, like, filmography. That's a great one, too. Nice. But reading material aside, <laughs> John Carpenter, obviously, after Halloween, became extremely mainstream. I mean, Halloween did way better than what they thought it was going to do. And as the legacy built from that, he always never, he never really wanted to be a horror director. So what did he decide to do? He ended up taking a job on a film called The Thing. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. And when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. And The Thing was meant to be 
kind of the anti-Halloween because at this point he had already raked in so much like brownie points from producing such a film like Halloween and he had become a producer by this point too. So there's so much going for him at the, you know, by the time he was making the thing. So it was really meant to be his first kind of big budget blockbuster summertime style film. And it's kind of funny to say summertime too, because it's in Antarctica. But I mean, it, this film is huge compared to, to Halloween. And it's crazy even though that the same director made Halloween from the thing. Um, so to set this yeah. up, I'm sure. Sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, uh, if you caught this in the original Halloween, one of the movies that's playing on TV that the kids are watching is the original thing that this movie is based from. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a, that's, that's a good catch there, too. And I, I think it's great. I love that. And I love the Howard Hawks um, adaptation as well, which is the adaptation they were watching. But um, this was actually based off of a book. It's actually a novella, and it's called Who Goes There by John Campbell Jr., um, people really, really love this um, novella, and that's why it's been adapted so many times. Um, I personally never read it. It's definitely on my list. I don't know why I haven't read it yet. I just haven't gotten around to it. But um, this is what it's adapted from. Um, Howard Hawks originally did it. John Carpenter got in on it as well. Um, Bill Lancaster did the screenplay for um the thing, so they kind of worked in conjunction together. It was a huge studio film produced by Universal Pictures and pretty much the setup that you need to know about this is it's a, basically a research um it's like a researcher kind of facility in the middle of Antarctica and literally what happens is they come across like a spacecraft kind of thing and they come across a body and like some weird stuff starts happening and they find out that it has human organs on the inside, but it looks very inhuman. So one by one cherry pick, you know, throughout the whole entire movie, we're kind of left in Hitchcockian style suspense of, you know, who has it, <laughs> who has, who is going to, to inherit the thing kind of thing. So um that's pretty much the setup of this entire movie. It's very simple, but very rich. Um, it's beautifully shot. Ennio Morricone did the score, and I absolutely love the guy's work. He's done so many different movies. Um, so the score is fantastic. It's kind of weird, though, because obviously we're used to John Carpenter, you know, doing his own thing with his music, but we don't get that in this film. But it works great. I mean, I think the Ennio Morricone was a great substitute for that. Um, and Obviously, I mean, Kurt Russell um, being the main star in this is, I just, he's my favorite character. Um, man, Windows is great too. Like there's, there's a couple people, but uh, all the people are really good. Like yeah, it's got great. some really good actors. Like Wilford Brimley is in this movie. He is. Yes. I and mean, I think this time he, he's in this movie without diabetes. <laughs> or, oh, was there like a granola commercial he was in too or something? He, he's so known for commercials at this point. But Keith David, Keith David would be great as well. So we have some great actors. Um, but Kurt Russell, something about his character cracks me up. Um, I specifically to get, to kind of skip ahead and get into the specifics of the film. At the very opening scene, it cracks me up so much because he's sitting there just drinking a scotch, hanging out at this yeah. research base, and he's trying to play a game of like chess with the computer, and the computer 
is like playing it back and he's like, he thinks he's going to win and he's like, Oh my, you know, my girl needs to brush up on her skills or something. And like, she like makes a move and she's like, checkmate. And whoever does that, she's like, lion bitch or something like that. And then he like picks up his like scotch and pours it in her to like mess up the whole entire computer system. So like immediately we like get to know his character and we see that he's just kind of like this like go lucky kind of guy, you know, super like chill, but also a little bit off. And I think that that's his character. Like to have a flamethrower and to go after this crazy alien like creature that like turned into a dog and say, where's my flamethrower kind of thing. You kind of have to be like that with that character. And it's just so it's funny. It's scary. Um, another scene I'll point out before I turn it over to you guys is there's a blood test scene where they all take a blood sample. And let me, you want to talk about Hitchcockian suspense. That is so intense. Every single time I watch it, I'm on the edge of my seat, just waiting for something to happen because it's just one by one. He like cherry picks each person and says, you know, slit your finger and let's get a sample. And he's like, they're like, oh, this is bullshit. Why are we doing this for? Nothing's going to happen. What the hell? You, you don't know what you're talking about. And he like tests them. And he's like, I swear to God, you know, we find out that he ends up murdering somebody by accident and he wasn't even an alien. So he kind of turns into the asshole at that moment. But, but at the same time, you're like, I love this character, even though he is an asshole, but then you're also kind of on the edge of your seat because you don't know what's going to happen next. And then when you do find out what happens next, it's the best scene of the movie. I mean that the yeah are flaring everywhere. It is. It is one. Yeah, I think it is the best yeah. scene in the entire movie. And you're talking about being on the edge of your seat, even watching it multiple times. I forget how many tests he does before the thing comes out. So like I'm watching it, I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's the second one. He does it twice, and the thing comes out, and then he does it twice, and it's not the thing that comes out. And it's like, well, I don't know when when he does, it. and then all of a sudden the third one comes out, and then he keeps doing more. But I keep forgetting it every time I've watched it, and it catches me off guard each time. <laughs> It's the best. Yeah. And, and another thing about this film, like it takes off fast. Like it, 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 there's no, it, there's, there's not much of a slow area in this film. It's pretty fast paced. And I, and I think what I truly love about this is there's not like CGI. It's all practical effects. So like, it's really cool. Um, and <laughs> It's it's funny. It, I'm not going to say it's a comedy by in any means, but there is some there is some comedy or comedy mixed in with this. I, I feel, and um, it just all plays together very well. Like you know, Kurt Russell, I thought just played a, a fantastic part in this film, and I really don't think they could have gotten anybody better to play this role that would have done as good as he did. You know, um. And the gore, the effects are, I think, absolutely amazing. Um, I definitely messy, want to see like, too, Mike, so I'm going to join yeah, you. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, and, like, it's it's messy, it's realistic looking, it's not, it's not it's fake, goopy. you know, it's goopy, it's Very yucky, good. moist looking, I'm just, <laughs> but, um, and I thought the effects were just absolutely top notch, like, two thumbs up, and. I mean, I'm a huge fan of this, Tyler. I'm glad you picked this because I haven't seen it for so long, and I really enjoyed rewatching this. Yeah, Tyler, the effects was done by was it, it was Rob Bottin, right? 
That's what I was about to say. It's um, Rob Bottin doing the effects. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I was and, right on that because I kind of forgot. I just looked it up. He just sure. about killed himself, didn't he? Like, he worked so hard on this movie that, like, he didn't want to do anything else after this because he, he about killed himself, like, working so hard. Yeah, oh, yeah, he definitely did. And if you look at those creature effects, I mean, especially the one where they're doing, like, somebody has a heart attack. Who I forgot which character crap. Has a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to defibrillate them, and yep. as soon as they like push in, um, as a copper, I think, um, defibrillates them, and like next thing you know, like just alien style, directly the thing comes out, and I think it's it, it's bonkers. And like Mike said, it's funny, but it's funny in a way that's terrifying, and it's funny in a yes. way that uh, you can't look away, but you're you're like, do I laugh? Do I freak out? And that's something that makes the thing very scary. Um, because if yeah, you know, it's funny. It's funny because of how uh, absurd yes! it is. Like how, how absurd the effects are, and how, but they're but they're not done cheesy. They're done really well. Like they mm-hmm. look and they move like they're real things. And I, I love everything about the effects in this movie. I mean, Botine has. It's the- almost like the, it. Oh no! Go ahead. Sorry, Mike. No, 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 it's almost to the point where it's funny, like, you're like, ha, ha, oh, shit, that's real. Like, that type of deal. Like, it's that kind of a comedy. You're like, oh, like, I kind of giggle, and then I'm like, holy shit, that's, that really looks real. Wait a minute, that really looks good. The effects are fucking awesome. So, it's that type of, like, being funny. I don't mean, like, a comedy horror mix. It's not that by any means, but you're just, like, kind of scared, but you got to laugh, and then you're it's scared absurd. again. So, that's, the, yes, perfect. That's a good yep. word. Yep. Yeah, and you know how, uh, like we were talking about when we watched Halloween, that, that no matter when you watch the movie, you can get the feeling of Halloween time. Mm-hmm. This movie has like a weird effect with it too, where because it t- takes place in Antarctica and the I'm sound design and the the blue light mm-hmm. filter, anytime you watch it, you're cold. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. strange. Like you feel cold just by watching this movie. Yep. Well, I mean, his set design, look at, if you actually watch the backgrounds as well, you'll see the ice on the insides of all the inside of the buildings. So they were so meticulous and so careful with the set. On the outside, obviously, it feels cold because of Antarctica. But on the inside, as they're walking around, look at the backgrounds because you'll see on the walls, on the doors, they're all iced. Everything has like this like layer of frost on it. So it was down to just like the smallest detail saying like, you know, they are in Antarctica. It's probably like what negative 30, 40 degrees. Therefore on the inside, there's probably going to be some frost from the outside carrying in like condensation wise. So I think that they really thought that out very well. Um, I agree. I think that the effects also complement that. So I think it was definitely half set designer mixed with the practical effects because the practical effects kind of gives you that horror sense and you almost feel like, am I going to get contaminated watching this? It's kind of like what it is. So the thing, I guess you would say modern day would be like, it follows. And I actually got to see it follows in theaters when it came out. And I know a lot of people felt like it follows was scary because it seemed almost as if you didn't know if you were going to get that next. Like it almost, you almost become so encapsulated in this idea of something like something stalking you, something following you that you get almost like scared in the theater. And that's what makes you scared. 
I think the same thing happens yeah. with the thing. I think especially if like you're really into this film and you're really watching it and it's clicking for you, what's going to happen is, is you're going to, you're going to break the fourth wall. And what makes it so scary is you feel like the thing is coming for you. Like you feel like it's going to happen. And as absurd as the film is in that moment, that still becomes something that's very real. Go back to Carpenter with Halloween. What makes that film so effective is the fact that you don't know if Michael Myers could, could he be real? Like it feels like he is almost after you. Something about Carpenter's films, especially when it does things like the things doing here or like Halloween's doing, he almost breaks that fourth wall and you become a character in his movie. And I think that the thing really amplifies this even past any of his other films in his filmography. There's something about it that while it's still sloppy, it definitely is. Like it's not a perfect film, but the fact that the flaws are there and this like goopy <laughs> for Chris and this kind of like goopy setting in the past that, you know, John Carpenter had before this making Halloween and the legacy of that. And then coming on with this all-star cast, this huge fucking cast that's just killing it. And this, you know, Robo team, which is fucking killing it. The script, which is fantastic. The set design, which is fantastic. And everything's kind of just, you know, light on the script. Like the script is definitely not something that's a masterpiece, but the film is a fucking masterpiece. How? It's just, I think there's, Everything that went into it makes this sci-fi horror perfection. I don't think it could get any better than this. And it's, it's pure cash money. Make it that way. If it didn't have the flaws, it wouldn't be that good. I wouldn't appreciate it as much. I, I love the flaws, like you said. I think it fits the film perfectly. Um, this is an instant classic. I mean, top-notch. Another film that's top shelf, in my opinion. Hell yeah. And Dean Kundi came back to do the um, cinematography. Cinematography. Yeah. 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 Dean Kundi's like he's really good with anything that he. If he's a lead cinematographer, it's gonna be it's gonna look fantastic. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention Chris um, for Dean Kundi them developing um, what was it called Pana Pana Slide or whatever the Steadicam the first ever Steadicam was developed and used. For Halloween. That's how we get yep. that weird ass opening scene where we're following up the stairs for it's, it was all all one take for the first up leading up through where he kills his sister and everything. Yeah. Uh one thing I wanted to mention about this movie for the thing is the entire time that I'm watching it, after they discover the Norwegian facility that's found the the body already, um, I wanna know what the thing looked like when they first discover it, when it was in the ice, they never show you what it originally looks like because you're seeing the part where it's already taken over the people and it's already in mid formation of something else. I was always curious. I was like, man, what does the thing actually look like? You never find out. Uh, I think it would really look cool. like a, tr like, like the tr a tremor, <laughs> like <laughs> a tremor, like, like some, something like that, like a monster that with, yeah, I've always, it looks always like been human skin, but, it would yeah. have tentacles for sure, because that's a trademark yep. for every single one of them. Every time it, the thing comes out, it's always like those tentacle things flying everywhere. So I think it would look yes. good. Yes. I, I love the sound, too, that whenever the tentacles are flying around, you have that – it almost sounds like insects 
on like a, a summer night or something like you can hear the insects making those noise like at a distance and there's a lot of them and you just they're all I don't know I really like the sound design they have with the aliens whenever they're transforming and stuff I agree hell yeah well I mean really I mean I could continue to say you're just gonna want to beat the drum but I think anybody listening to this podcast has most likely seen the thing and they've most likely seen Halloween. I think that they're more related than not. So when you come down to talking about the thing and John Carpenter, it's hard not to say like, you know, let's think about John Carpenter's filmography. It's the thing. It's Halloween. That's the two. That's always been the one. Yeah. And uh, both are not short of a masterpiece. Um, I don't think that, you know, they had a 2011, the thing it does not, Hold a torch to this. Um, Not even close. Oh, oh that reminds me. Yeah, go ahead. I, I remember whenever the 2011 version of the thing came out, um, I was looking up information on the new movie, and I came across a review of the original thing. And somebody had wrote a review, and clearly they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. But it starts off with the review saying, I started this movie – um, interested in seeing what was going to happen. And the film opens up with people in a plane trying to kill a dog. It was at that point that I decided that I was no longer going to be invested in, the, in my time into this piece of crap movie and I will no longer watch it. And I turned it off. That was the review. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's the point of it because that dog starts the whole thing. It's not technically a dog. Like, and that's what brings the, the life force over. Like, it was so, so crazy. Like, that's it. That they didn't even give it a, a chance a day because of that scene with like them trying to, to kill the dog. I just thought it was funny. I wanted to bring that up. Listen, we have the Norwegian um base there. We have the Antarctic US base there. The flamethrowers while they're there in the middle of this icy landscape with a fucking alien and a flamethrower. Who would not say yes to that? You know what I mean? You have I mean it, it it's so so it's just and again, it's just going on that 80s kind of like, how would you even say it? There was like this action. You know what I'm talking about? During the 1980s, there was a certain type of action. And I think it kind of started with Terminator. But like we have movies like The Thing, Terminator, and all, all these kind of like movies. And then obviously we have um martial art actress, like, you know, actors galore to thank for this. But it kind of like fits that big budget 1980s big screen cinema action film. And within it, we have this jet black sci-fi horror absurdist creature feature. And that's why the thing gets a 10. That's it. I'll piggyback off that. Um, It is definitely worth a 10. In my opinion, it's right there. It's 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 not a ten like Halloween, but it's a well deserving ten. So yes, I give it a ten. So even from the the opening title sequence, the the title of the thing when it appears on screen, and you have the sound that comes with it, like it's explode, like it's ripping apart the the screen itself is what it sounds like. Um, it's just it's. I don't even know how to, to describe it, but it's just really intense. Like you're on the edge of your seat just from the title sequence. 
and then yep. you feel the cold. As soon as the movie starts, you feel the cold air. That you hear the the sound of the wind blowing in the cold, and you're already invested. You're already there. You feel it, and then it just takes you on this big ride of like effect after effect after effect. And it's something that is, I don't know if you played the video game or not, but the video game was, was pretty close to the movie as well. The thing video game no. uh, from like the early, early 2000, 2002, 2003, it was an amazing game to play as well. Um, but yeah, Kurt Russell does a fantastic job. This is one of the best movies in my opinion that Kurt Russell's been. I know people know him from like what Roadhouse and stuff like that. Um, I think this is one of the best movies he's ever, he's ever done. And the paranoia that the movie gives off. It just, you never know who's going to be. Every time, every time I watch it, I can't remember at times who is the thing and who isn't during the times of the movie. Oh, it's just, I, I don't know. I don't figure it out until they literally tell you who's the thing. Yeah. Um, I really love all the actors in it. Uh, you know, Keith David is, is great in it. Even Wilford Brimley is good in it as well. Um, there's some really cool side characters with windows. You know, everybody's kind of has their own little relatable thing you, you like about them. And hate about him at the same time. Um, but I give this movie a 10 as well. A very deserving 10. Special effects is top notch. Yep. It's amazing. And I love how you said it, Chris, um, paranoia. That's a word that I think that you could use to describe the thing perfectly, just by saying that. Yeah. So we got a 30, another 30. Um, shit, <laughs> we have a two-way tie. Let's see what you what do you got, Chris? What what's what's up next? All right, so I chose a John Carpenter movie, which is They Live. Excuse me. Just survive. You know, you look like your head fell on the cheese dip back in 1957. You, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly. And I'll go ahead. I like to read the back of the boxes. Uh, back of the movies when I do mine, but it says horror master John Carpenter from the director of The Thing and Halloween directs this heart-pounding thriller in which aliens are systematically gaining control of the Earth by masquerading as humans and lulling the, luring the public into submission. Humanity's last chance lies with a lone drifter who stumbles upon a harrowing discovery, a unique pair of sunglasses that reveals the terrifying and deadly truth. Now, this movie is... It literally has one of the funniest lines and most memorable lines in any horror film, which we'll get to it later. But the movie is just downright fun. It it follows Roddy Rowdy Roddy Piper, who was an ex wrestler, uh, who was act, an active wrestler at the time, who wanted to break out in the movie making. John Carpenter is a fan of of wrestling, so he wanted to have uh, Roddy Piper in a film, and. Uh, he goes, I guess he's like a, you know, the, the box said he was a drifter. He's looking for work. He goes and gets a job at a construction site and across the street from the construction site is something that's taking place that nobody is really aware of, uh, that lives there. And that, cause it's like a, um, what's those places called where people like the homeless shelters gather and stuff? Um, I can't think what it's called, but it's like one of those places. And, he is not of the ordinary. He doesn't just like to fall into place and do as normal. He likes to to look around and know where he's at and who he's with. So he starts noticing that things are happening at, at this local church, and he gets curious. So he goes over to the church, and he finds that there is these boxes and boxes of these sunglasses that's being produced. 
and it's like illegally being produced. But he's really curious at, you know, why is everybody going through the trouble to hide sunglasses? And so he puts them on and he finds out that, hey, you can see things with these. You can see uh, the, the truth behind the government. It's telling you what you need to do, and what you need to hear on a daily basis without you ever knowing it. And what's behind it is the aliens because he discovers the aliens. Whenever you look at a person, you can see a real person or you can see the alien version of the person. Um, I think this movie is great. I think it's so much fun. And I think they, they chose Roddy Piper as the best lead. Like he's perfect for that role. He knew how to play the comedy. He knew how to play the, the straight version of it as well. Um, Keith David joins in another is really weird. We chose two movies with Keith David. Yeah. Um, he's great in this as well. He, he doesn't take no for an answer, like literally ever. Uh, he, he doesn't fall into, fall into place with everything either. Like there's that sequence where Keith David and Roddy Piper are fighting in an alleyway. And that scene goes on for like 10 minutes. It's the longest fight scene in a horror movie ever. I believe so. And, but neither of them are backing down. Like he wants to beat him up and he's like, put on the glasses. And, you know, Keith David is, no, I won't do it. And I mean, it's literally like, it doesn't matter. You're never going to make me put these glasses on. And it's, it's just really cool. Now there's a line, like I was saying earlier, there's a line in this movie that, that uh, Roddy Piper says that is even people who don't watch horror movies know this line. And he walks into a bank. He has a shotgun in hand. Everybody's looking at him and he says, I've come here to chew bubblegum and to kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. And I, apparently, according to uh, – I've read a few things that that line was – Roddy Piper came up with that line. It wasn't Carpenter. That Roddy Piper was the one. He said he wanted to come in there and say something. He wanted it to be a little little funny, and but, but catchphrase. And he was he was treating it as if he was doing a promo for wrestling. And he came up with that line, and it's kind of cool. For sure. Yeah, because when you watch the movie, though, that line, when it comes up, it kind of fills out a place. It's still hilarious, so it doesn't even matter. But it, you see him, what is it, like, at the police car, and, like, he's, like, kicking their ass. And, like, he's, like, fucking, like, shoot them. Like, he's he's kind of the serial killer. Like, he's kind of crazy at the same time. And he's just fucking, like, shooting him dead, and they, like, fall down. And next thing you know, it just cuts to the bank. And he's like, I'm here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. I'm all out of bubblegum. And he just fucking, like, starts shooting him down, which is crazy. But, um, yeah, I think that Ron Piper honestly makes the film. Let's go ahead, Mike. Sorry. He does. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Um, we need that on a T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> we really need to screen print that on a T-shirt. It's yeah, an amazing well, one, but. One of the funniest things, I laughed my ass off of this because I didn't remember this happened. But uh, when he finally, when he first discovers the the alien race, he's looking at this one woman, and uh, he looks around at another woman. He was like, he's like, oh, you're one ugly son of a bitch, <laughs> and uh, she she's like, excuse me, and he looks over at somebody else. He's like. You're you're okay, but you you're real fucking ugly. Like yeah. that, I don't know why, but I laughed so hard at that scene. It was so funny. Well, me, I, I laughed. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. Yes, yeah. I was saying it was eat the rich. You know, he looks over and sees this like all like you know hoity toity style like woman in that grocery store, and she has her furs on, her pearls on, and he's like, you know, you're real fucking ugly, <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, but you're okay. <laughs> And that's just like the regular folk. And I know that Carpenter made this like during a, he made a political stance. It's very obvious 
Um, and, and damn, like, I mean, it definitely is still relevant today. And I think it'll always be relevant at some capacity, no matter what. Um, but I think that's something that's really interesting about it is because John Carpenter really brought something that was still in his genre and in a genre that he's familiar with. And he created something that was almost for him, you know, and to be able to make something that's very personal, but still make it fun and funny with like Roddy, (laughs) Roddy, Roddy Piper, um, fucking kicking ass the entire time. It's great. It's a very political-stated movie as well. There's two parts in this movie that I absolutely die laughing or, like, how the hell did this happen? The first one is when Piper gets thrown out of a window, down a hill, tumbles, gets right the back the fuck up, and kind of walks and runs away from police and hides under another hill, like, on the, the hills of California, South California. It's just, like, he falls down a hill bust out a window and it wasn't just like a 10-foot drop i'm talking this is probably 20 25 feet then rolls down a fucking mountain and just jumps right back up that one right there stands out and then second it's toward the end when um uh piper busts open or the um the signal wave to make you know where these uh aliens are being covered up in you know human skin well, there's a part, a sex scene where this woman is having sex with this dude <laughs> and she looks at him and he looks at her and he's like, come on, baby, what's wrong? Like, like, it's just that I lose, I lost it, man. I haven't seen this movie in years, but I am so glad we rewatched this. Um, it's like the thing, um, it more of a comedy side with this, um, Definitely a political side. It's um, political satire is what it is, for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. Did you guys catch at the end of it there, close to the same scene you're talking about, Mike, with the sex scene? where Because uh, it's going like a montage of like everywhere around the world because now everybody can see the, the aliens. And uh, it cuts to like a news broadcast where you can hear the news broadcast. And it's this lady. She's like, we have had enough of these directors – uh, with all of these gore in their films, such as George Romero and John Carpenter. And I just thought it was really funny that he mentioned himself in the film. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious. And there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of really deep moments in the film in terms of being like a political stance. But then that, like, like we've been talking about, it, it's a comedy almost. It's satire. So I think mm-hmm. it was definitely something that. Carpenter did a great job with making and there's definitely a lot to continue to go back to every every four years of election night there's an election coming up watch the day 11 or be reminded and you know the set design in this is also very good um if you look at the I think the scene that stands out the most is um the scene at the supermarket the one that we were talking about with the the woman and the man and saying like oh you're real fucking ugly Right before that, he puts on the sunglasses, like one of the first times ever. And the entire supermarket is labeled with like that propaganda, like the, like, you know, the political statements. And if you look close, like even the cans, like, like all the cans, like all the boxes. And I actually was watching an interview, um, cause I was like, that's absolutely insane. And they were talking about how that was the most expensive shot in the entire movie. 
And it was a shot they had to prepare for for a very long time. And it took a very long time to make that set from scratch because they actually went in practically with all like the cans, all the boxes and put all that in there. So it was definitely, yeah, it was, it was something that's really interesting. Well, I, I noticed that as well because there's a scene where it shows the TV and he's looking at the newscasters and even in the small print on the TV at the very bottom of the TV where like the logo of the TV would be like instead of mm-hmm. same Samsung, it says sleep eight hours. And so it's really cool. They got like every little detail of the things are are in there. And if you look, no matter where you look in the film, you're going to see something like even like the magazine mm-hmm. articles and everything are all right there, like really small print and everything is made for it. And it's really cool. Yeah, and I, I, I love how detailed that is. But, I mean, like, yeah. let's just be honest. The star of the show here, before anything else, is Roddy Piper. Like, the guy, yeah. it, this is his role. This is, It's just, he makes the entire movie. He kicks so much ass the entire time. And, um, I mean, without him in it, it just would not be the same, for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely I agree. carried the movie. Oh, yeah. I love the idea that they were like Carpenter was like, we got to figure out a way to like to hide the aliens. What's a good way for us to be able to reveal them? I got it. Sunglasses like you put on the glasses, you see them, you take them off. You can't. And then later on the movie, I forgot all about this when I was watching it. They introduced the contact lens where, you know, they're like, hey, it cuts out the signal. You put the contact lens and contact lens in and you can see without having that uh, signal hit your body. And make you sick because they they mentioned that the sunglasses, if you wear them for too long, it makes you nauseous, which I thought was kind of clever that it caused problems with you because it's almost like a television signal that you're getting in by just by wearing the sunglasses. Yeah. And also, I think it's also kind of metaphorical. You know, it could be like viewing the world through rose color glasses, you know. Yeah. You're whenever you're rich, you're going to put on those glasses and you're going to just conform to society the way it is. So I think that's that's probably the perfect way to get the point across to saying, you know, the sunglasses, boom, rose color glasses. So can we take a moment to uh, to just just thank Meg Foster for her wonderful blue eyes that she has? (laughs) I always forget that Meg Foster's even in this film and I'm always I don't know why it's just like she doesn't even exist in it. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but she has the weirdest eyes ever. Like, they almost look like alien eyes, and it fits for the movie because she could be one of the aliens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's so weird. But let's talk about um, John – like, kind of bring everything full circle here. Let's just talk about John Carpenter's, like, timeline. You know, like, we talked about Halloween going into the thing – and then something very different here with um, with they live. Overall, do you which what kind of genre do you feel like was the best to Carpenter in terms of like his craft? Because like we have three completely different genre films. Like obviously they live kind of fits into that alien kind of sci-fi, but it's also mostly just political satire. So we have like a satirical film here. We have pitch black, you know, bonkers, alien, um, sci-fi, and then we have straight horror. And I, I don't really necessarily know. I know that he, like I, like everybody knows that John Carpenter doesn't really talk about Halloween anymore. But when we talk about something like They Live, I feel like 
even to this day, he feels like it resonates with him. So there's definitely a, a clear favorite of his, but everybody always says, well, Halloween, of course, is his best movie. But then if you ask him, he's like, you know, Halloween is not my best film. I have so many other films that's better. I think they're all great in their genre that they live in. Like the, the thing has that paranoia alien film. Um, it's perfect for that. The, they live has the propaganda alien movie. Like it's perfect for that. And Halloween has that atmospheric Halloween or, um, slasher aspect. And I think it's perfect for that genre. I think he crafted them very well for each thing that he was going for. What do you think of the war? <laughs> Did you like the ward? <laughs> I've never seen the ward. I did not care. There gets to a moment where directors continue to make films, and you know Dario Argento, for example, his most recent films just none of them hit. So I mean, same for Carpenter. Definitely just stay in the eighties with them, but um, it, it's tough because you know I, I give Halloween a ten. I give the thing a 10. I think we all can agree that both of those are masterpieces. Yeah. I hate to say it, but there's something about they live that falls flat in terms of being a masterpiece. Is it good? I agree. Yes. Is it fun? Yes. Is the story very meaningful? Yes. Is it important to Carpenter? It's clear. It was very important to Carpenter. And, I think especially it's very important to watch today. I think it's timeless. That being said, I didn't necessarily feel as authentic of acting as I felt in previous Carpenters. I felt like the the script, while it was so close to being like so good, it was so close to being so good. It really kind of just took the left hand turn and multiple times throughout. And I did, I did take problems with some of the pacing. It seemed a little choppy. Um, this is no way of me criticizing the, you know, they live because I absolutely do love the film and it's much better than, you know, 90% of the horror movies out of the eighties. Uh, but I mean, very clearly there is some issues. Do you guys have any issues like that came up that you want to point out? Um, I, I'm I'm kind of with you on – it's almost disrespectful to say it fell flat on some things, but that's the only thing I can think of. It did. Like, it, it, it fell – I don't know what either, but it, it, it's missing something. The pacing. It, it, it could be – or it could even – maybe more – I mean, the story's mm. ch- cheesy. It's supposed to be cheesy. It's fun. It's over the top. Um, I don't know if I got got the cheesiness from it. I think think that in terms of the character that, um, damn, Roddy Piper, the character playing is cheesy. But the movie's supposed to be kind of like serious, but it's also, he plays it cheesy. But it it isn't though. In a way, like it is, but it isn't. Yeah. You can see it, it, it is serious, but it isn't serious. It's more like fun. I just felt like if I was sitting down and watching it, I wouldn't take this as a serious movie. It's just, it's kind of like a roller coaster. It's fun. Let's ride it. It's up. It's over. But I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed every bit of it. But for me to give this movie a 10, that would be a stretch. 
but I do love the movie to the point where I feel like if I gave it like a seven, that would be way too low. Um, I'm, I'm giving this movie, I want to give it a nine, but it's still missing a little something. I, I give this movie an eight. I really do. I think it's a solid pick for this film just because I don't know what it's missing. But my thing is, it's not an eight being like disrespectful to the movie. It's like a solid eight. Could be a nine. Um, I know we don't get give half points on this, but like an eight point five. But it's a very good movie, and I really enjoy it. And I loved watching this, and I'd rewatch it over again. <clears throat> don't mind it, but it's missing something. And I, maybe you're right, Tyler. Maybe it is pacing, or maybe I don't take it as serious as they want to project it. It it, it is, but I. I don't know. It, it misses a little something. Yeah, I think you guys are both right. It, it it's even though that it's a really fun movie, it's a very entertaining movie. It's mm-hmm. well acted. It's everything is really the effects are even really good. The story's really good. Mm-hmm. You can you can watch it anytime. It does miss something. There is something there that's keeping it from being a a flat out classic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there is a few things you you asked me what what I could nitpick about it, and there is a couple things I could think of. Uh, one being is when they go into the tunnel, when they switch that watch, and if they jump down the hole and they're in the tunnel or whatever, and you know you're led to believe that they're underground. They even mention it. He goes, "Where are we at?" He's like, "I think we're under the city." And then they have that big area where it looks like they're in space. Where you yeah. get you get the tunnel and it shoots them off into space, and I'm like, well, how's that under the city? If it's yeah. like an opening to out and out of space, I don't I don't understand that. And then they walk up one flight of stairs and they're in the newsroom, and it's like what the TV station newsroom? And it's like, well, I don't understand while they're in the like the news rock. How did nobody catch on that the newsroom leads straight to this underground city, and why do they have to have a like a machine that puts a hole in the ground in order to get to there like it didn't make any sense to me but you know you can it's passable you don't it doesn't really affect the movie watching or anything really could you could you take it as if like this was like the the like the newsroom was actually like the spaceship hub so like it wasn't really underground it was just like you were inside the spaceship when it jumped down not necessarily you're under the city so like you know how like you know they they did the news and they got the message out there and they had the signal on top of the building. Did you ever kind of get the feeling like maybe this is like the main hub, make like the main spaceship? And they were actually inside the spaceship when they jumped down into the hole other than the city. Like he said, yeah, I think we're under the city or whatever. But maybe they were like inside the spaceship the whole time. Maybe. I'm, and I'm more than likely wrong, but possibility. Yeah, I have no idea. I It's clue because it, like you're they're literally. Yeah attached to the building that the new station is where they go outside mm-hmm. on earth. But then when they're underground, it's like out, you see this outer space and everything. Like it doesn't, Oh, it just doesn't make any sense on where you're really at right. or how they, how it's there. But, um, but I still really, really like the movie and it's a lot of fun. And if I'm not mistaken, is this the, one of the few movies where all the main characters die? Ooh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's actually pretty because, important. uh, What's his, I, I want to call him Childs because of uh, the thing, but uh, Keith David's character, yeah. um, uh, he's helping out. He's following along, going up to the to the tower where the signal's coming through, and Meg Foster's character pulls a gun on him. You don't see the actual gunshot, but you hear it, and then she walks out alone, 
And when he tries to shoot the signal, the big glass bar or whatever, he shoots it and then it explodes and the people from the helicopter shoot him a couple times and he falls back and then the whole entire thing blows up. So I'm, I, you're led to believe that he dies as well, even though it's not technically shown. But I'm assuming that the, all of the main cast is dead. I mean, I think that that's I mean, that's how I interpreted it, Chris. Honestly, so I think that you're appreciate that because I really that's what I thought as well. But I think Mike. So Mike gave it an eight, and I do agree with your analysis too, Mike. I think that that's I think you hit the nail on the head. I think both of you guys have given a really good rundown in the way I feel about it as well. And I'm also with you. I'm between eight and a nine. Eight and a half. I think that the thing is, is you wanted to give it an eight and a half. I want to give it an eight and a half. So you had to give it an mm-hmm. eight. So I'm going to give it a nine. So that way we can kind of have an eight and a half. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, I respect that. I, I, mean, I was right there half. with you. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was doing eight well, and a half. Just because he looks at the rich old lady and tells her she's really fucking ugly, I'm going to give it a nine. <laughs> <laughs> So 9, 18, 19, 20, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 26. And those are all three solid scores. And those all yeah. three are fantastic John Carpenter movies. I wasn't trying to drag um, They Live in any capacity. It's still, you know, nothing short of nearly a masterpiece in its own respect. But let's just be honest. The Thing and Halloween are the two crown jewels of yeah. Carpenter and it always just has been that way for me and I think it's that way for most horror fans so but again three solid films so we have a problem guys two way tie we are between the thing or between Halloween do we so, fight to the death or Lax, think two, of a number and we pick well two way tie so you all cancel each other out and I win <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, not how it goes <laughs> If we guess how many Mountain Dews you've drank today, we win. Oh, no, I have, I have, uh, Helen, I have the, I, I have an idea of who wins. I already know who wins. So we played uh, tagline trivia earlier today. Tyler was the only one to get one right. Hey! Tyler, Tyler should win. Let me tell you though, the thing winning against Halloween is probably one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so. That means I got to think of something to add on the well. So let's take a quick break and we're going to come right back to spin that well. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you all enjoyed that quick little break that we had there. And it is that time again for us to spin the wheel to choose our next episode. We have a lot of fun things that's still left on the wheel that hasn't been chosen yet. And Tyler, from where he won this week's episode, he got to choose the item, and his his choice is actually kind of cool. I'm really looking forward to hopefully hopefully we get that option. Um, he chose to add to the wheel Fulci versus Argento. So that would be we actually have six movies. We each get to pick a Fulci film and an Argento film, and we'll battle all six of those films together. Uh, we also have Family Horror, Tier Ranking, where we would choose a franchise or a genre of some sort, and we would rank those movies. Uh, an interview with a celebrity of some from a horror film, uh, commentary on a horror film, or shark attack movies, werewolf movies, films from the years we were born, clown town, possession flicks, 
And I don't know why film footage keeps making its way back on there for some reason, but uh, it was there. Uh, 80s slasher films. So those are the options that we have. Hopefully, we'll get the one we all want with next. So, Tyler, do us the honor and spin the wheel. Right. <laughs> I can't do it fast. And let's see. Here we go. Here we go. What we get? What we get? Werewolf oh. movies. Werewolves. Werewolves. That's going to be fun. Honestly, for the month of October, I think that would be an interesting episode. Yeah, I agree. For sure. I, already, I, I think I already got mine. Uh, yeah, I think I know what Mike's gonna choose already too. Oh yeah, like it's one of my choose? probably it's one of my favorites. Uh, Silver Bullet. Hey, hey, two in a row. Tyler spun the wheel twice. It landed on werewolf film. Yeah, that's funny. But I was just like, I've always been curious. I'm like, if we were to spin the wheel one more time, what would happen? And I just wanted to see. But I mean, it, it said the wheel said, "Fuck you, you're gonna do werewolf." <laughs> <laughs> Must be a full moon out tonight. <laughs> what were you doing, Mike? What was your um? What were you? S- silver bullet. Silver bullet. Okay, nice. It's All up right. there, man. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Do you know what you would choose, Tyler? You know, let me. Th- I'm going to look up werewolf films because while I have a couple in mind, I always forget some of the, I, like, on the spot, I always forget a good werewolf film that I want to watch. What the hell? Why it, is all dep- it, it all depends on what you choose. I have two options, but if you don't choose either of those, then I know which one I'm going to choose. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to think about it and we'll see. Because I have a couple in mind that I really want to um, to do, but I'm not for sure which one I want to pick. But what do you what what's your the ones you're curious about doing? Well, I'm thinking about possibly. I don't know. I'm not for sure. Which one were your what were you your two? So I'm I'm str- I'm strung between doing Bad Moon. From the it's like the mid nineties, mm-hmm. um, or a movie that came out back in like I want to say two thousand twelve or thirteen. I, mean, I didn't mean later than that, but it's called Late Phases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. I actually had that one on Blu-ray. No, I wasn't thinking to do either of those. Um, we'll see. Well, thank you guys so much for listening tonight to Fright Fights. We had an awesome time talking about John Carpenter. I had a great time hanging out with these guys. Can't wait for the next episode. I hope to see you guys there. Once again, I'm Tyler. There's Chris. Here's Mike. We are Fright Fights. Connect with us, all of our social medias. Rate us on all of our platforms. And again, we will see you on the flip side. The Thing, the ultimate in alien terror, rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Check newspapers for local listings.